Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. It's Thursday. Right. Well, right now it's Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night, and you have a brand new episode of Waste Time with It's The Real, which comes out on Tuesdays. Well, which is actually Monday night when it actually goes out. You know what? It's a day of the week, and this is the second episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real that you guys are getting, and it's a surprise. Surprise to you and surprise to us because we only decided to do this half an hour ago. Well, why did we decide a half an hour ago? For a few reasons, but the main reason is because... Eric and I were putting together a show for Los Angeles on Thursday, November 2nd. Right. Thursday, November 2nd in Los Angeles, California at the Bootleg Theater. Right. We're putting on a live show. Right. It's a comedy show. There's music involved. We're going to have special guests. It's going to be dope. Right. If you uh, heard about our SOBs show here in New York, if you heard about our Highline show here in New York, if you heard about our show out in London, if you are longtime fans of ours and you know what we did at Bonnaroo or at Gansevoort here in the city, you know that we put on an energetic, fun, dope show. Right. Well, we don't do anything like half-assed. I we think don't. It's, yeah, it's it's full-assed. <laughs> and so the thing is that we really want to sell out our L.A. show. Well, wh- explain why we want to. Because, Eric. Yes. Because if we're able to sell out L.A., then that funds... The podcast. Yeah. If you if you guys consider that this is the 142nd episode that we've done, if you guys who don't live in L.A., who don't live in California, who may live in Ohio, or you may live in Florida, or you may live overseas, if you go to itsthereal.com right now and buy a ticket for $20, if you think about the math, if you've listened to all of our episodes, that's 142 of them. Your $20 is about 14 cents per episode. If it's worth it to you for those 14 cents, you will help us sell out our show in Los Angeles, California. And we can then give those tickets to people who who live in Los Angeles. And who normally would not come if they were like faced with the idea of... Do I really want to buy an It's The Real ticket? I'm on the fence. Because here's what, here's what we're looking to do. And here's why London was such a great show is because we're going to a new market. New York City, this is our biggest market. Los Angeles is not our biggest market. London was not our biggest market. But what we do is we create something that we can build off of. And our goal, as we were talking about the last couple of days, is to grow our audience. We love our audience, but we want to double our audience. And we want to triple our audience. And if you guys believe in It's The Real, if you believe in our podcast, our music, our tweets, if you've met us in person, if you guys believe in us, and look, I know we don't like to call ourselves underdogs, but what's the truth? The truth is that we're we good are. looking. Oh. No. <laughs> the truth is that we're good looking underdogs that are not attached to a big media company. We don't have a big record deal. We're not surrounded by assistants and, and interns and, and people who can do everything for us. This is a two-man operation. We want to blow this thing out. We want to be the biggest podcast in the world. We want to have our records spun all over the country. We want to do more live events. Right. We've proven we can do New York. We've proven we can do London. Help us prove that we can do Los Angeles and let's grow that market out there. And... You know what happens after Los Angeles is that we can take this to 
places that are probably closer to you. So we are going to try and do something in Chicago. We want to come to Dallas. We want to come to Houston. All these places that people are saying. Toronto and Atlanta and D.C., Maryland, Virginia, um, North Carolina, Florida. There's like four big cities in Florida that people want us to come to. There's lots of opportunities for us to travel around the country. Let's make it worth our while. Let's build this into something. Right. Because right now, if we can be completely honest, our agents who are the only people who are on our team, they don't believe that we can take this anywhere but in New York. So let's prove them wrong. Let's do this one city at a time. And so we've come to you guys, our real fans. Right. And I do want to say, like, when we went to London, we did that by ourselves with the help of Raj and Project Gersh. Project Gersh. And, you know, a couple of other people who were able to actually make that happen. But we did that outside of our agents. So what we're trying to do now, with your guys' help, is really level up. That's been our credo. I know you guys believe in us. Let's do this together. And if you see it as, you know, you're just dumping $20 and maybe you're not getting anything back, you'd rather just get the the podcast for free, then buy some merch. You know, we have merch for sale. It's thereal.com slash shop. We're going to be working on making some more merch in the future, but, you know, we're slow in getting there. Right. But you know what, though? We're getting better. Yeah. If anyone's listened to this podcast, you know it's gotten better. Yeah. If anyone's listened to our music, you know it's gotten better. If anyone has seen us once again, we've only gotten better looking. I mean, can you get better looking than perfect? <laughs> so, please, guys, go to itsthereal.com, buy a $20 ticket, forward that PDF to eric at itsthereal.com and jeff at itsthereal.com. Show your support for your boys, and we will keep giving you guys the best content online. Jeff, who's on the podcast today? Today on the podcast, we have Arsonist from the Heatmakers. Arsonist. So, obviously, you know we've been on a hell of a streak when we're talking about, like, Rockefeller and Dipset and, you know, that New York City sound. Big Face Gary and Sherry Bryant and Wayno Clark and Clark Kent and Johnny Nunez and who am I forgetting? I mean, the 10 people that we got together. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. The Rock, the Rockefeller celebration that we did at Highline Ballroom. Yeah. Uh, Maul from yeah. the Joe Budden podcast. And this is right in that realm. Arsonist talks about going to Howard University to be an architect. And then? Well, not finishing. Yeah. <laughs> Howard University, not his call. And stumbling into music and developing a career, making beats on beats on beats, and then taking those beats and finding a happy home with the Diplomats. Yeah, he created Diplomatic Community. If you guys love the Diplomat sound, if you love Cameron and Jim Jones and Joel Santana and Freaky Ziki, when they were running rap, that's him. That's that sound. That's that sound that everybody from Fat Joe to Kanye West wanted. So we met Arsonist like two months ago. Right. And he's so incredibly smart and so funny and just the perfect podcast guest. So we were thrilled to have him up here. And some of the gems that he drops from Nicki Minaj to Gucci to... Grandmaster Flash. Oh my... That... Okay. The Grandmaster Flash story is the best story. (laughs) This is a great podcast. We're happy to give you it on a Thursday. We're happy to give you it on a Tuesday. Whatever day of the week you're listening to this, we appreciate you guys. Once again, go to itsthereal.com. Buy a $20 ticket if you're feeling really great. 
buy the VIP ticket. And if you live in Los Angeles, we'd love to see you there in person. Thanks, as always, guys. Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. White Walkers, a.k.a. You're Dead Wrong. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Suffering from Success, a.k.a. Dollar Sinus Infection. Now. Oh, oh, what's up, man? It's your boy. Also, this half of the Platinum Boys, the Heat Makers, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's a waste of time with it's the real. Boom! What's happening? Good, man. Yeah, man. Good, good to see you. We dropped by your studio a couple weeks ago. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having us, but the last person that we expected to see there... <laughs> Spraga Benz. Spraga Benz. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, right? Yo, he walked in and we're just like, what? By himself, by the way. Like, by no entourage, no. no nothing. Just And the record we made was incredible. Well, the music that he was playing ahead of time. Yeah, now his album so. sounds dope. And the crazy thing is, I think the day, the next day, uh, Wayne Wonder came through. Oh, my God. Yeah, I saw that on yeah, your Instagram. Yeah, I'm, put, yeah. I'm putting together this hip-hop, uh, like this heat makers reggae type of thing. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it should be fired. And I got Egyptian coming through next week. This is just like Tanya hit. Stevens. I did a record with. It's fire. It's fire. Man. It's fire. It's fire. Well, let's get right into it. Where it. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Mandeville, Jamaica. Right. How big was your family? My family's pretty big. I have um, well, a couple, a couple, um, not a couple. One of my uncles passed away, but I had two. I have two uncles and eight aunts. Whoa. So you know, from the aunts, I have a bunch of cousins and. So I have a big, and that's that's from my mother's side. Yeah, <laughs> that's my mother's side. My father's side, I have, I have uh, two aunts and one uncle. Wow. And Mondeville is it's it's in the country. So yeah, like so that's I'm, I'm 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 specifically from Manchester, Mandeville. Man, you know Man- Manchester is the uh, parish. But like, were you guys like in like a compound? Was well, it just like everybody was there? Well, I but my family. Yeah, yeah. No, no, my family. Um, my mother and. My mother and a couple of sisters were the first to move over to the States. And, um, you know, my father was still working back in Jamaica. And my mother was out here trying to, you know, set up shop as far as, like, get a house and, and get a job over here. And when we first moved, we were staying with my grandmother for, like, uh, and I probably never said this on an interview before, but that's crazy. I've, um, I stayed with my grandmother for, like, about about a year until we got our own place, you know what I'm saying? But I was young, so I was, like, five, four, five, so it's, it's vague to me. But, you know, I remember that. But a lot of my family spread out. I got family all the way from, all the way in New York, all the way to to, to Washington State. To uh, I got some family in Germany because I have some family members that's in the military and things like that. You know. So I mean? uh, where was your grandma staying up here? Yeah, in the Bronx. In the Bronx. She was in the Bronx. So that's how I ended up. That's how the Bronx was was my my the, the, I guess the, the the destination. Yeah. You know, it could have been any place else, but I had my grandmother was already set up in the Bronx, so we just came to the Bronx. What block are we talking? Um, we're talking Edson Avenue in the Bronx. And then when you guys got your own place, where'd you go? You went to Balk Avenue, which is like driving distance of no more than seven minutes. You know what I mean? It's the same part of the Bronx, the Northeast Bronx. Yeah. So what's going on there around then? Um, heavy crime. You know, like those those were like the Larry Davis days, and the um, and there was a there was a dude. I don't know if anybody from the Bronx remember. There was a dude by the name of um. What was his name again? He was Jeff a, Rosenthal. No, not Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we called, they called him the Predator. But he was on like America's Most Wanted. He was just going around the Bronx killing people. around. Like the, the Bronx was dangerous around yeah. in the 80s, man. Like early 80s, it was, like I said, it was it was just a bunch of, that was the rich Porter Alpo times in Harlem. So, you know, people that wanted money didn't try to make it. They just either robbed for it or they hustled for it. And the Bronx was known for robbing for it. So it was a lot of 
dangerous killers around the Bronx around those times. So does that mean that your mom's like not letting you out? Like around those times, yeah, yeah they would. They was my father thought that I could, I would get robbed for anything. Yeah, like if I had on a, a jacket that might have been like a hundred dollars, he's like, yo, take that off. You this gonna happen to you? That gonna happen to you? But me, I was always the type of one. I was stubborn. Two. So if someone came up and they were like, give me those shoes, you would have said no. Um, Eric, they were his shoes. I, well, no, no, no sh- shoes. <laughs> I mean, look, so like for me at a certain point in my life, if somebody would have came to me and, and, and tried to take jewelry off of me, I would have probably put up a fight for it. You know what I mean? Now mm-hmm. I'm at the age where it's like I understand you can buy things back and things of that nature, but I always have a problem with people taking. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I'm, I don't know. I just look at people that steal as like the lowest form of people on this planet, man, because it's almost it's like people work hard for something and you just wake up in the morning and say, I want to take it. Yeah. So I always had a problem with giving up things when I think about it like that. But again, like, you know, I have kids now. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter, man. You're going to what middle school, what high school up there? I went to, I started off in uh, PS121. That was up the block from where I lived at. I switched from there and my parents had put me in private school. I went to St. Phillips and James until the eighth grade. Then I went to Cardinal Spelman High School. All right. So, so you're wearing a uniform. Yeah. Well, yeah, slacks and slacks and like khaki pants and and button ups. Are we are we talking about like real strict uh, teachers? Not really, but they had rules like no facial hair. You know what I mean? Well, you um, broke that rule. Yeah. yeah. Now this is why I guess that's probably why I got a beard now because yeah, I couldn't grow facial hair the whole to Cardinal Spelman right now. Right. Yeah. It was like public school except they just had a dress code. Like people behaved the same way. It was still the same type of terrorizing people in there that wanted to. You know, like every school you have your it's the yin and the yang theory. Were you playing sports? Um, no, I was. I, well, I played baseball, mm-hmm. not in high school. I played like in outside leagues, but mm-hmm. I didn't play for my school. And what about the arts? I was always good at drawing so my my um that's how i ended up going to college for architecture my my um my high school guidance counselor was like because you know i didn't know what i want to do i said what should i do she was like well you're good at math you're good at drawing go do architecture so i'm like all right cool (laughs) so i applied for the school of architecture in in, uh, howard and i got through did you visit howard beforehand no so you went sight unseen yeah i didn't visit any colleges no i'm lying i I visited upenn whoa and also you would have gone there for architecture no i just went because it was a chance to get away from home and there was chicks there yeah (laughs) to be real with you i didn't i never looked at college as something that i had to do or really wanted to do i just knew it was a necessity in my household like you know you went to high school you graduated you're not staying here you pick a college and i didn't want to stay around my family in the bronx i figured you know i wanted to get away and have some independence so i chose howard and luckily they accepted me so did you apply to to upenn um did i no after i went there i didn't i didn't i didn't um apply i applied to howard hampton and um if i'm not mistaken it was morehouse gotcha so all hbcus you didn't end up going to uh upenn which would be all jewish girls named rachel (laughs) and the crazy thing is when i went to visit that it was like the the reason i didn't go even though i thought this is gonna sound crazy i hope none of the um the black colleges kill me for this but the, the the environment was better at upenn the reason I went to Howard was because a friend of mine was going there. Really? So I didn't want to go to college alone. You know what I mean? Like have to meet brand new people and have no real friends. So at least one real friend was going. So I said, all right, cool. Let me go to let me go to Howard. And was that friend going to be your roommate or just? Like well, I, th- I thought so, but we didn't we didn't end up being roommates. We lived in the same building for all the right. first year. So you go down. And the there. crazy thing is we're not friends anymore. But oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
crazy so at life. You, you go down there and so I said both of us just laughed at that. Yeah, I don't I know, know why. Yeah. yeah. No, but that's cool. Yeah. You can't laugh about it. It's funny now. <laughs> unless unless he listens to this podcast, yeah. then he's a great person. And it's still so, funny. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so you go down there, what is that environment like? You're you're Which one? You Penn or Howard? Uh, Howard. You're you're away from Yeah, fuck you Penn. Um, you didn't go there. No, Howard the the environment was like Howard is real. I always said the only thing that messes up Howard is the classes. Okay. <laughs> because it's really like a place wh- where if you do anything involving the arts, you're going to meet somebody as talented or more talented than you, almost guaranteed. So I, I liked it for that reason as far as like whatever you did, there was somebody to keep you on your toes because they were probably better. You know what I mean? Like I said, I went to school with Young Guru. I went to school with Rich Harrison. And these are just people that were within one or two years of me. So imagine the amount of talent that went through there. You know what I mean? Like Diddy went there. Like we said, Tracy Lee went there. And this is during the height of Tracy Lee's career. This is during, um, you know, like Guru. Not saying this was the hype, but this, I think Howard molded all of us to become good entrepreneurs as far as like, you know, and have and have just that the rapport with other artists you know what i mean like howard taught us how to deal with other artists mm-hmm. even though it was a school for you supposed to go for you know learning business right. uh, or architecture or whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. exactly but <laughs> ended up getting kicked out of howard by the way but that's a whole nother story right, but before we get that, yeah before we get that so yeah i'm in school and i'm i'm meeting all these people but i don't know exactly what they're going to turn out to be like guru was just a dj i was a dj he would DJ a lot of parties before I got there, obviously. When I got there, I started picking up the slack and doing a lot of parties. And it was just like, next thing I know, I'm running in the Guru and Baseline with, <laughs> with, um, when I'm going to go work with Dipset. He's the engineer. So how do you get those parties down at Howard? How do you like work your way um, in? My first party I got from a, a dude that I knew that was a Q-Dog at the time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he was like, yo, we do this annual party every year, da-da-da-da. He said, are you nice? And I'm like, yeah, he's the hype. Fuck, you going to prove it tonight? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, kind of, so I'm like, I bet. And I never DJed a party out there before. You know, most of my, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first real party I DJed. Crazy. But I lied to him and told him, like, yo, I'm nice. Oh, I can do yeah. that. Da, da. <laughs> and I went and tore the part, man. And ever since then, I was, um, you know, they wanted me to do radio stuff. They had different parties I was getting booked for. But I turned down the radio stuff because stupid me. At the time, I had a girlfriend who was like, yo, if you, if you do the radio, we'll never see each other. <laughs> Needless to say, I haven't spoken to her in over 15 years. So you don't see each other? No. <laughs> right. But I, I didn't do the radio thing which because of the thought of not seeing her, which now I look back, I was an idiot. And any kids that's listening, follow your heart, man. So, <laughs> what, was your, what was your specialty when you, when you like, really like, ran a DJ? party? Yeah. Um, like what, what's that, my, what's my arrangement, the way I did things was crazy because I would... I used to set my sets up in a way that it was like none of my there was like an hour of my parties where none of my records lasted more than 45 seconds. That's what she so said. I, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I would set up the records in an order where I knew I'm going to play this after this after this after this. So people in the crowd it was just an hour of people going berserk because they like, oh, I love this song. Oh, yeah, I love this song, too. I love this. And so by the time that's over, they're drained. And now you can really just cruise through the rest of the night. So that was like my thing was like. You were an aux chord DJ before there were aux chords. This right, but like- except, I was using a, except I was using a vinyl, man. Yeah. So it was like, my crates used to look crazy. Like, my, I would have records with no cases back. to Because, you know, I was moving so fast. I didn't have time to find the case, put it back. It was just like, I don't know if you remember how DJs, um, like the coffins would look back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would have records just piled up in either side of the coffin until the end of the night, then I would just arrange it all back. But, you know, like, I miss those days a little bit, but it's different now. You don't miss carrying them. <laughs> Hell no. Now, you, you could never find somebody to help you at the end of the night. The beginning of the night, yeah. you had a bunch of friends. Like, let me help you carry it in. Once they get in and the night is over, you're by yourself. 
That's what I don't miss, but yeah. So did you see DJing as your like as your career at that point? Were you like fuck architecture? I'm just gonna stay DJing. Um then I didn't I don't want to say I seen it as my life, but I seen it as a means to an end at that point. You know what I mean? It was like I'm not gonna lie, around those times for a party I might have got about at most four hundred bucks, mm-hmm. three fifty, four hundred bucks, and so. But I was doing like two to three shows a week, so I might have ended up with like a, a stack by the end of the by the end of the week. Yeah. But I always knew it was it was more for me to do. I just didn't know what I wanted to do yet. You know what I mean? Like my DJing thing, I knew that it kind of, I knew that's like I loved it so much because one day I was doing a, um I was DJing a what was a Grandmaster Flash. Uh, birthday party. They they flew me out to New York to do a uh, Grandmaster. Fl- they didn't fly me. They they gave me money to drive. Yeah, I drove yeah, yeah, yeah. And somehow I end up getting into an argument with Grandmaster Flash. <laughs> Happy birthday! Like you know what it was? They said okay, cool, because it was like five DJs that was supposed to DJ that day. It was like me and like four other DJs. And Grandmaster Flash wasn't supposed to DJ. It was his party. So when my set was coming up, Grand the, the crowd was packed. Everything was going crazy. Grandmaster Flash goes, "No, nah, nah, I'm getting on." And I'm like, yo, no disrespect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I came from I came from DC, man. Like I didn't come here to just watch you DJ, man. Like I'm, I'm gonna do like 20 minutes and you could get on. Yeah. So he looked at his homeboy like, yo, who is this? Yo, I'm getting on. <laughs> I said, yo, listen, man. Unless you want me to turn this whole shit upside down, yo. <laughs> you're gonna give me about 15 minutes. <laughs> so now it's like an awkward stare down between me and Grandmaster Flash at his birthday party. People look at me like, yo, who are you to dis? But you know, you, you know what I mean. For me, it was like, no, nah, I didn't come this far to just to do this. Yeah, like I drove four hours. I'm not watching you, DJ. Yo. And then, and then this, like I said, this was the days of the crates. Yeah, I came down with five flight cases. There's <laughs> no way I came down with five flight cases to not DJ. It's Wait, impossible. Was, so you get on the turntables? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wait, yes. Was was the first record you played the message? <laughs> not have been crazy, right? <laughs> no, I think the crazy thing is when I think when I got on, I was so mad. I think I just emptied every good record there. Like you know how for DJs, nobody wants to come after the guy that plays the the number one records at right. the time. So I just played every record that was hot. I just played him back to back to back and Grandmaster Flash to the point where he, when I finished, he didn't DJ anymore because he was like. <laughs> I'm not gonna look like an idiot at my own party. Like uh, he played everything there is left to play. I sort of want Grandmaster Flash to come on our podcast now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't about- even know if you would remember that. That's how you know. What, but to- you don't think he remembers his worst birthday ever? Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> he might be like, "Yo, let me um, I never knew that kid's name. Let me get his number." Yo, that five-hour drive back to DC, you were smiling the whole way. No, my homeboy that was with me was like, I think he was like a huge because he set it up. He was a huge Grandmaster Flash fan, so he didn't speak to me for the whole ride back because he was like, "Yo, I can't believe like." Because I think he wanted a picture and all that around that time. You know, Flash was like, yo, you with him? No, there's no way I'm not. So he felt oh a way God. about it. So uh, how many years do you get through at Howard? Uh, four. I was in a five-year program. I oh, got right. through four. Is five years, yep. I got, through, I got through four of it. I had one more year left to graduate. And then Grandmaster Flash wrote a letter <laughs> yeah, and got know, you kicked right? out. What, what happened was... I'm um, like I told you, I was in the school of architecture. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming out to the school of architecture, and there's a girl that I knew. She's waiting outside, so me and her talking. But I noticed behind her, there's like 15 dudes across the street. So I'm like, I didn't think nothing of it. Cause like I said, it's campus, but you never really seen that many people conjugate at one place. So I'm like, all right, cool. I walked off, looked behind me, same 15 dudes are following me. Now I have to give you the I have to give you the the backstory to this why this would happen, right? So. I met this, I didn't even meet this chick. One day, I used to DJ out there, like I said. So every party I DJed at, I noticed that there's this one girl that's always there. Like, I don't know her, but she's standing by the turntable. She's always there. So one day, I'm on campus. I leave my building on campus, and I go to my car, 
by the time I get to my car, because I had drove up there and I went inside the building, but I left my car running. When I get back to my car, this girl is sitting in my car, right? So I get in the car, I'm like, I'm like, yo, what's wrong with you? She was like, yo, I'm coming with you. <laughs> Keep in mind, I knew her from my parties, but I didn't know her. You know what I mean? I didn't know her name until that day. So she was like, she's just in your car. She she knew it was my car. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she knew, I, you know, whatever. So she's in the car. I'm parked Passenger here. seat. Right. She wasn't like sitting Yeah, like passenger <laughs> seat. So I said, I'm like, yo, what's up with you? She was like, I'm coming with you. I said, yo, at this point, I had lived in Maryland, College Park. Mm-hmm. So I just came to campus to visit people I knew or whatever. So I said, I'm going back home. So I'm not driving back to campus. If you come with me, you're going to have to you're spending the night at my house. Yeah. She was like, I don't care. <laughs> oh, so, so she comes to the house. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Days later, she's te- this, this is beeper times, right? So she's yeah. beeping me, paging me, calling me. I'm not, I'm not hitting her back. I'm not, so whatever. So like I said, one. now yeah. fast forward to me coming out the building because now the story will make sense. So I'm coming down the hill, 15 dudes behind me. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. So I, I really brush it off. I go into, like I said, I'm with this chick. So I go into um, one of the buildings. One of the buildings is called the Towers at, at Howard at the time. So we go into the Towers. I stayed there for about an hour and a half. When I come downstairs, see about 25 dudes. It's the same 15 dudes was the extra 10 dudes. So I'm, in my head, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I still, I can't piece it together in my brain yet. So now one of the dudes comes and he was like, yo, you know this girl by the name of, I won't even say her name, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know this girl such and such? I'm like, yeah, I know, what's up? He was like, yo, I need to holler at you for a minute. And you know, if where I'm from, when somebody says that to you, it's automatic problems, yeah, right? Yeah. If or I don't know you and you want to holler at me, I, okay. So once he said that, I said, yo, listen. Keep in mind, I'm in the lobby of the building. These dudes is outside. One dude came in to say that to me. So I'm like, yo, listen, man, I don't know you, so I don't even know what you want to talk about. I'm not, I'm not with it. So I, at this point, I know it's a problem. I call my homeboy that's upstairs. I'm like, yo, listen, man, here's the situation. You can make your mind up if you want to. And this was my homeboy at the time. Like, he was real cool. The dude that I came to yeah. Howard with. Yeah. yeah. So I said, yo, I got, there's a bunch of dudes downstairs. I think they got a problem with me. I said, it is what it is. If you want to come down, cool. If not, I get it because it's like 25 of them. Yeah. He's like, all right, bet I'm coming down. So while he coming down, they keep in mind, it's still outside. I had like light jewelry on, a little bullshit chain, and brand new leather I just bought, because I remember this day vividly. Yeah. So I take, the, I take the chain off, take the jacket off, and I put it behind the security desk, and I'm like, yo, just watch this for me, because <laughs> yeah. I know it's probably going to get crazy, right? So now my homeboy comes downstairs, and my car is parked across the street in the parking lot. So I got to walk. If I want to get to my car, I got to walk through these dudes. So I'm walking through the, I walk through the door, me and him, we walking through these dudes. They're not saying nothing. So they, they quiet at the time. They just like staring us down. So by the time we get past them, maybe about like 20 yards from my car, they're like, yo, hey, fuck you, da-da, you ain't shit, da-da-da-da, this, that, and the third, that, when I see you, then. So now we driving off, they banging on the back of the car, we drive off. So my plan was to drive off to get to my, get to my crib to get my cousin. My cousin was there. So I'm like, you know, come back with numbers. Yeah. We go home, tell my cousin, we get in the car, everybody changes up, we come back. When we get there, instead of 25, it's probably down to like the 15 now. So like 10 of them left because we yeah. came back like an hour and a half later. They still there in front of the building. So now we just, we hop out the car. My cousin walks up to the biggest dude and just hits him. Yeah. <laughs> he hits the floor. The rest of them rush me. Right? So now they rush me. They, I'm on the floor now. They trying to stomp me out. I got, I can still see marks on my hands from the shit. They, they stomp, they trying to stomp me out. So now by the time I get up, I hit one of the dudes, like a fight break. You know, a fight breaks out. My cousin's running around. I can't even say what he was doing at the time, but he was, you know, mm-hmm. some people were getting kind of twisted at the time. And so we leave. We think it's over. We leave that day, go home. Next day I come back to campus. The chick who started this whole thing, she's standing in front of one of the buildings with an empty Moet bottle in her hand and at this time. And I was like, the way it went down, it was only three of us. It was me, my cousin, and my homeboy, and they had about, like I said, 15 people. The next day I came back with, because I used to run with a bunch of D.C. dudes. The next day I come back with, like, 
10 DC dudes, like dudes that don't go to college. That mm-hmm. Their whole thing is to just get busy. I said, the chick is out there with a Moet bottle in her hand. So my homeboy walks up to him and was like, yo, um, yo, you don't want to cause the problem. She tries to swing the Moet bottle and hit him. He grabs her wrist, takes the Moet bottle and hits her across the face and shatters her jaw. Oh. Right? So that's where my whole shit goes downhill from there. Because nobody knows these DC dudes. They just know me. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, we know DJ Arsonist, what they call me at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, we know Arsonist. So... Every party I'm going to, police are parked outside. Everywhere I'm, classes I'm going to, police, is, police are waiting there to question me, this, that, and the third. So I just came back to New York and started, um, everything out there, you know, kind of worked itself out because the chick ended up, like, telling people that she, would, you know, that she lied about a lot of things and this, that, and the third and that she just wanted, she felt away because I wouldn't hit her back and she got, she lied to all these dudes to try to get them to get at me. She wouldn't, you wouldn't return her calls. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, basically, yeah. I just, Bro, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. deaded her. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess she felt used, like, because whatever happened between us happened and I never called her back. Right. And, um, so yeah, everything got straightened out, but me coming back to New York was, like, that was, like, the worst moment of my life. Because I was out of school, had no plans. Parents didn't really know why I left school at the time. They just like, yo, he's home. What is he doing? And if not for that, I don't get into my music career. Because that's the only thing that forced me into producing at the time. So you you come back, and like you said, your parents don't understand. And I had a baby on the way at the time. So Which whoa. makes it even crazier. Yeah, wait. Wait, so I have a, I had a, I had a, well, we weren't together, but my daughter's mother was, was at this time, what I'm telling you about when um, I'm home for good now, mm-hmm. she's about four months. Oh my God. So and I have no income. And, and no degree. Right, right. So you could picture, and at this time I'm 20, 21, my daughter's born at 22, so 21. So you sit down. Right. What are your options here? And keep in mind, my parents didn't know I was about to have a kid. So I'm home, baby on the way. Parents don't know. Kicked out of college. They think I just wanted to leave. So I I really, to me, I had no, I had nothing to fall back on. And my my partner up the block, my man Thriller, he had had just bought an MPC and he was going out of town. I think he was going to Trinidad to visit his family or something. So I said, yo, let me, let me hold an MPC and see if I can work with it. He lends it to me. You know, I teach myself the basic things. I make like two beats and those two beats ended up getting me my first set of equipment because I ended up selling those two beats to Todd Terry. And Todd Terry asked me, you know, um, he wanted more beats. And I told him I couldn't make any more beats. I don't have any equipment. And he bought me like $20,000 worth of equipment and sent it to my crib after meeting him one time. The legendary producer, Todd Terry, right. who does, uh, he did I'll House You. Mm-hmm. To he, the Batmobile. Uh, he did um, <laughs> the Everything But The Girl track, right? He did everything. I mean, a lot yeah, of, he's just like, he's just legendary. Yeah. How do you meet him? A friend of mine by the name of... Um, Rob Young, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Young. Rob no. knows a bunch of people that I, I didn't think he would ever know. <laughs> but um, he was working at Capitol Records at the time, and they had an office downtown on like 20-something Street. So my homeboy from Brooklyn brings me to meet Rob because Rob was supposedly an A&R, but come to find out, he was like an A&R assistant who had like a, <laughs> had like a little desk in the corner of the major room. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We go meet him, but he was the fifteenth guy, right? But he, <laughs> we, we go to his, we go to that office, and he's talking so much shit. You would think he was like the VP A and R over there. He's like, "Yo, listen, you got to do this, that, that." Anyway, he's like, "Yo, I'm going to my." He said, "I'm cool with this dude, Todd Terry, man. You should come to his house, man." He said, "Um, you know, he's a, you know, Rob is the type that wants to big people up, not just on their accomplishments, but on the money and the possessions that they have." He's like, "Yo, he has a mansion in Jersey, he has Ferraris, yeah, yo, you got to come to his house." So I'm like, "All right, fuck it, I wasn't doing." It. And keep in mind. I go to his house. It's me, Rob, and Nicki Minaj. <laughs> what? At this time, she's like 17. It was me, Rob, and Nicki Minaj go to his house for the first time. Crazy. Crazy. 
I just now that we brought the story up, I just remembered that she was with us. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. Now that I think about it, but yeah, it was. And a she, she's Anika at this time. She's yeah, Onika. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, Onika Mirage. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So you sit down with this NPC, mm-hmm. and you have, you know, obviously a musical background. But like, how mm-hmm. do you get into programming something like that? Um, just try. Like I said, the first two beats I made to me were trash. Todd is the only one that liked them. <laughs> I thought they were. I thought the sequencing was not the sequence. I thought like my arrangement of the drums were bad. I thought my sample chops were bad. I just thought everything was bad. But he must have saw some potential in it. But um, like real arrangement and things like that, I don't really learn until about three years in. Like you know what I mean. Like I knew how to make beats, but to me, I di- I didn't become a producer until about three years in because mm-hmm. you know production is everything you do after you make the beat mm-hmm. is production. So I didn't really get when I fir- when I saw my first record to cannabis, I didn't have a clue about production. Like I remember I'm in the studio and the, in the uh, engineer at the time was like, "Yo, um." I'm gonna give you the wires, hook up to the MP, track this beat out. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know. How do you track a beat out? And at that time, you know, like the engineer, I guess, you know, they had more free reign than now. He was like, look, at this. I can't believe this shit. He doesn't know how to track a beat out. He's in the studio. And I'm like, Jesus. Like, you would think like, like his life was over because I didn't know how to track a beat out. But again, I learned and I rather things like that happen because I never wanted to feel like that again. So I went home and, you know, really learned my craft. Yeah, yeah. By the way, so um, I was listening to the Juan Epstein interview that you did, right. and they play that song. <laughs> yeah, the cannabis and, song. And cannabis, like he, he's his vocal is like panned left and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So maybe imagine he's the, in the one studio. who was fucked up. Yeah. Imagine in the studio yeah. that day trying to listen to that. Yeah. Do you know what that sounds like? Coming through big speakers and every one one um, verse is panned to the left and the other verse is panned to the right, and you kind of like, All right, what I listen to that. <laughs> But again, cannabis was so hyped that everybody else in the studio was like, "Yo, that's fire!" Because cannabis thought it was fire. So, and like again, that was my first time in this. So I'm like, "Who am I to say shit?" Right. I thought it was weird <laughs> at the time because I'm like, I can't understand what's going on. But, but maybe he was so future, like you know, forward thinking. Yeah. You were just like, "Oh, I don't, you know, who knows?" <laughs> so from there, you end up in the studio with Big Pun and Fat Joe. Big Pun and Fat Joe was was actually the first thing. That's like, I'm a friend of mine went to school with Cuban Link. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, yo, I can get y'all in this. This went Cuban Link and, and Terror Squad and everybody, they was running. So yeah. he said, I can get you in the studio with them. Just bring some beats. So we brought the beats. Does everyone in the Bronx know each other? Like- no, no. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I believe there's less than six degrees of separation in the Bronx yeah. if you really search. You know what I mean? Like, you, if you're from the Bronx, you might not know Fat Joe, but I guarantee you know somebody that knows joe or right. knows somebody that knows somebody that mm-hmm. knows joe it's right. like everybody knows tony sunshine exactly so when i played a beat for joe he was like yo i like this beat can i have it i'm like um i say yo to be honest with you such and such, i forgot who i said what artist wanted at the time i said yo this artist is interested in the beat he was like who <laughs> and i told him the name he was like no i know who they are but i'm like who you'd rather sell it to them than us wow and I'm like, nah, because I didn't know how it worked. I'm like, yo, Joe, I don't want to offend you, you know, but da 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 da. And he was like, yo, listen, man, I like your beats. You know, um, I said, how much do you make for beats? Cause I didn't know at the time. I'm like, what, what do new producers get paid? He was like, anywhere in the ballpark of like 5000 They start off making, I said, for one beat? He was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. Because I love music. And I'm like, I didn't know producers got paid out the gate 5000 around those times. Yeah. I mean, now it's different because of the internet and all that, but I was with it. So how do you how do you establish relationships as a, as a new producer? I just think it's not being a dickhead. Because a lot of new producers will give a beat to somebody and they like it, then they'll charge them something astronomical or they'll charge them, period. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was a new, like, don't get me wrong, because they were signed, I would have gotten paid, obviously, but that wasn't the first thing on my brain. The first thing on my brain was I just want to hear their voice on my beat. 
to build my resume. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people, like even dudes to this day, hit me on Instagram. Like I was on live the other day and a dude hits me, goes, yo, everybody out here want beats but nobody want to pay. I'm like, how much you charging for beats? He was like, I don't know, man. I, I, if they give me like 500, I'll take it. I'm like, all right, so um, what are your accomplishments? Mm-hmm. What have you done to charge that 500? Mm-hmm. He was like, no, but I'm saying I put, I put mad work in making these beats. And I'm like, all right, but let me put it to you like this. You should charge an independent artist about five hundred dollars for every plaque you got. He was like, "But I don't got any plaques." I was like, "Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly." That's my, that's my point to you. You shouldn't be charging without accomplishments. Yeah, that's like you going to a burger joint that's in the middle of the street with no store. It's just like a spot. It has like a little table with a tent over, it and they're like, "Yo, these burgers are fifteen dollars a piece. Yeah. We're making it on this foreman grill right here." You're like, um, "Why am I paying you fifteen dollars for this again?" <laughs> like, you understand? Like, that's what it is to me. It's like no matter how good that tastes, I am watching what you do. Like, I can do this myself. Right? Yeah. You know, like when people buy a beat from me, I tell them all the time. Not, I don't tell the people, but I tell other producers when when artists buy beats from me. Sixty to seventy percent of what they're paying me for is for the name. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, I make great beats, but there's a producer out there that makes beats just as good as me. But the reason you're paying for mine is because mine is proven. You know what I mean? Like uh, awards came along with mine. Like, like I've sold over twenty million records because of whatever the reason is. Even if you want to call it a mistake. Or the Illuminati. <laughs> Whatever it is, yeah. I've done it. You know what I mean? So now, now you're getting established. Your name is getting around, seemingly, right. right? Right. How many beats are you making, like, a week? How many are you making a month? Um, at this point, I was you couldn't get me out the... I was, I was making beats out of my mother's basement at this time. So I was making about... Realistically, I was making, like, 30 a week. 30 a week yeah, and so I'd make like five a day I would I would there's probably like one day I didn't make beats or six you know what I mean like six days out the week I was making like five a day and what percentage of that are you like yo selling or or do you think that like they bang I don't keep them if I don't think it bangs hmm. you know what I mean like when I tell you my the way I used to work then was different like now because more business business is involved and because I have more responsibilities now as far as like overhead and things of that nature and other things I got to handle. I can't work at that pace anymore. Right. But back then, it was nonstop. I'm talking about from 9 o'clock in the morning until about... We're not talking about a short period of time during the day. I'm talking about from 9 in the morning until about 9 at night. I'm yeah. making five. Yeah. Making and arranging. You know what I mean? So anybody that could tell you the arranging is what takes the time. You got to mm-hmm. put it in Pro Tools, arrange it, break it down, EQ it, make sure it sounds good. But I was doing like five a day. Mm. By the way, the way to keep down overhead is to just do it outside with a tent <laughs> over. Right, yeah. yeah, no, right? <laughs> I guess um, the next person you meet is Renee. Renee McLean. Who was uh, Cameron's manager at the time. We went to go see him because we had artists that we wanted to get on the radio. And he was like, ah, it's going to cost you this amount. And the amount he said was, a, you know, it wasn't nothing. To, it was a nice amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we went to the car, got the money, came back. Right? So now we got him looking like, what the, f- like, <laughs> how? What do y'all do? Right. So you know what we said. I said, yo, I'm a producer. It was like three of us. It was me, Thrill, and my other man at the time. I said, yo, I'm a producer. He was like, where are you a producer? I mean, he knew he didn't get money from producing. He was like, yo, let me get some beats. I had. This, I always kept the CD on me, so I gave him a CD. How many beats on that CD, you think? 20. Mm-hmm. And they picked nine. <laughs> nine made diplomatic immunity, and then I did an extra two. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what's going through your mind when he's just like, I'll take nine? I didn't. Let me tell you how it happened. When I gave him the CD... Um, we give him the CD and the artists that we were, we, we went to bring to him were from North Carolina. So we give him the CD. Was it PD Pablo? <laughs> no, but it was around that time. <laughs> it was definitely around that time. So, um, we give him the CD, we leave. I go back to, I go to North Carolina because I'm working with these artists. So while we're in North Carolina, 
Cam calls my man's phone. My because my man had given Renee his phone number. Like yo, so Cam calls his phone. Cam does. Yeah, so not Cam, British, not right. like yeah. So Cam calls and he puts me on the phone, and I'm like, I say, yo, listen, man, whoever this is. <laughs> Stop playing with me You know what I'm saying He's like no no Yo it's killer I need you to come out of the studio We want like We want a few of them tracks Off the CD And I'm like I say yo This is Cam He's like yo This is killer da, 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 da. <laughs> I go back to New York The next day Go to Baseline And the first record We did was I'm Ready Because I was on the CD The first record we did He tracked out I'm Ready And, and they him Jewels And uh, no originally Cam wasn't on I'm Ready It was right. just Jim And um and Jewels Oh my god And then Cam That's why Cam Is the last verse He jumped on it later but yeah, that was the first record we did the next day after he called me. And then that was on the radio literally like three days after that. And we just kept rocking to the point where it was like, I don't know any producers that have had faster turnaround times and success than we did. Okay, so wait, real quick. Um, that's when you walk in and you see Guru. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Were you like, yes. uh, what's up? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy because it was like, Guru's like, he was like, yo, oh, what up? That I'll be chopping up for a minute. But keep in mind, we, it was years removed because Guru was two years ahead of me and Howard. So if I was mm-hmm. a sophomore, when I came in, he was already a junior when I was a freshman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was gone before I had left. So he obviously he didn't know everything that happened and yeah. things of that nature. So when I seen him, it was just like, it was love. You yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying? It was definitely all love. And how much of a beat did you have like actually on a CD? Was it just like you give them a little bit? So, yeah, yeah, I give so everybody a snippet. Like, like, no, like about a minute and 10 seconds. Yeah, and so they get a feel for it. So you get a hook and a half of, you get a verse and a half of a hook. And then you come in and you can like lay it out arrange it yeah, the I just whole bring, thing. yeah i just bring the actual session so did you sit there while they recorded it they just looped up the two track and record yeah i sat there and listened to it but then you know i they would have a day that you would come back in and bring the uh stems to, yep. to track them out but that day he recorded straight over the two track this is your first time meeting all these guys yes which is crazy first time i met cam i mean i've met cam at another place before but i know he wouldn't remember that yeah. it was like at jacob javits center for um the car show. <laughs> no, it wasn't a car show. It was something else, though. Yeah. It was something of that nature. But I seen him, and I was just like, yo, Cam, I'm a big fan. This was like during 357. Yeah, yeah. And pull it. And I'm like, yo, Cam, I'm a big fan. He's like, yo, this was up. Da, da, da. We just kept it moving, yeah. not knowing that a couple years later we would be working together. Because I did two tracks on um, Come Home With Me that somebody else tried to take credit for. That's a whole other story. But everything worked itself out. Yeah, so Diplomatic Immunity. And they take nine year tracks. 11 in total when it's all said and done, but nine <laughs> off of that CD. Well, I mean, that has me mind blowing. The crazy thing is, is after when we were doing the track list, is Jim. Jim is doing the track. He's like, "Yo, who produced? I'm ready." He's like, "Yo, heat maker." He's like, "Yo, who produced more than music?" He's like, "Heat maker." He's like, "Who produced um Santana the Great?" He's like, "Heat maker." He was like, "Yo, goddamn, you gonna make more money off this album than me?" So yeah, that's when he figured it out. That project obviously changed their lives. It changed your life too, definitely. So now you can go home. And you're a legitimate producer now. This is not like according according to the masses. Yes, <laughs> I didn't. I never. Yo, you don't understand how, how fast it goes from being in the studio just recording what you perceive as random records to an album being put in your hand, and you're like, oh shit, like this actually sounds good. I didn't when I did records for them. I didn't do records with the hopes of the album sounding good. As stupid as that sounds, I just wanted to give them dope beats. Yeah. That's it. I didn't really understand the production side of making sure this record sounds good and putting a drop here. And a, I just knew the beats had to knock. So I would just give them CD after CD like, to the point where they'd be like, yo, how the fuck are you giving us new beats every day? Like, how often do you make beats? Because like I told you, I make like five a day, yeah. five that weren't throwaway beats. I made 
Like I made Dipset Anthem and More Than Music on the same day. Those are the last two beats to make the album. You know those what I'm saying? Are those are the last two? Yeah. Because the other nine yeah, were yeah. on that CD. Right. So whatever wasn't Dipset Anthem and um, More Than Music was on that CD. That's so crazy. Santana the Great. So um, uh, what else is on that album? Damn, I can't remember the songs I did on that album. So whatever, whatever wasn't those two, I, that was on the CD. By the way, so now, you know, there's this whole conversation. There's like 44,000 signatures of people who are like, I 55. want... 55. 55? And they did, they did it at 55. But that they want Dipset Anthem to be the national anthem. <laughs> which, which would be great. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, your, your publishing would be very happy. But, um, but actually, I, I wonder if they would take it away from you. Oh, and let it be like a public thing? Yeah, if it's public domain then. Oh, we should really like think about this. Yeah, guy. like yeah. let's let's talk out your business right now. <laughs> no, but it, see that's they would have to they would have to at least buy it out, right? Oh mm-hmm. true. They would have to. Like yeah. they would have to cut me a check for like, okay, it's gonna be the national anthem, we'll give you twenty million. <laughs> yeah. I like how it's like the proverbial they. Yeah, like yeah, whoever yeah, this yeah. they is right. will have to write. Because <laughs> I don't know who exactly is gonna cough the money up, but can you imagine that at, at like a basketball game or just like a boxing event? The Joel's and Cam coming out like, still alone on my four corner <laughs> and people just stand their hand on their heart. I mean, I would not kneel. No, so yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have to kneel. Like, <laughs> who was in the room? Was Duke the God in the room? Was like during which during which point when you got in baseline for them to record? I'm ready. Um, let me see. A lot. You know what I remember about that conversation? I don't even know if it's and the, the Cam will probably laugh about it now because he probably don't remember. I just remember Cam being on the phone with, I don't know who it was at the time. It might have been some chick he was talking to at the time. This is years ago, so mm-hmm. I don't want to, you yeah, know, yeah, I ain't yeah, trying yeah, to stir. Yeah. Now, this is like 2001 or 2000, something right. like that. There have been a few situations since then. So. Right. Yeah. So he was on the phone with some chick and something. I just remember him saying like, yo, it's a privilege for you to fuck with me. You should, you should, you should, you should, you should be proud that you fuck with me. You understand? Like, you should be happy I'm on the phone with you right now. You heard? You heard? And I just remember standing there like, yo, fuck with him, man. Like... Anybody that's that's confident, he was just sitting back, feet up, chilling, smoking a blunt. I'm like, yeah, fuck with him, man. Did you see any of your, those beats going to like anybody in particular before you brought it to that camp? Nah, never. I just, I just, like I said, I just, you made, just knew they weren't my going beats to Fat Joe. Were, <laughs> well, if I'd have seen him, I'd have probably, I just didn't see Joe around that yeah, time. Yeah. But the beats that I was making were so, they were so signature that I, I couldn't hear a lot of artists. So I didn't even hear, I didn't even know how they rhymed to I'm Ready. Because if you listen to I'm Ready, it's, the swing of that beat is weird. Any rapper will tell you, like, if you're not really good at coming up with flows, you can't mess with that beat. Mm-hmm. The same thing with a lot of the other music we made, like I Love You, um, Purple Haze, things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? It was hard to to find people to rap on that, and they just, it was perfect for them. Yeah. So it was like, it was like a marriage made in heaven. Shout um, out to Renee, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah big, definitely. I wish I, I haven't seen Renee since. Mm. That's definitely in in terms of like your entire like dipset uh library are there any samples that would not clear yeah a bunch and they were the ones that you wouldn't expect like maxwell wouldn't clear a sample i had a record with um i had a record with uh jewels and who was on the hook i forgot who was on the hook but it was called daddy's home it was a maxwell sample and he wouldn't clear it and then i had an r kelly sample you remember how i feel this record called how i feel mm-hmm. i think it was hell rel and, and killer camp and um Kelly wouldn't clear it out, I don't think. Then um, I had a record with uh, with it was supposed to be Joel's first single at the time it was Joel's and Ashanti. Whoa! And it was um, it was a Bobby Womack sample, and he wouldn't clear it. Man. So yeah, I've lost I've lost about eight records to sample clearances, but in the grand scheme of things, I've put out hundreds. Yeah. yeah. That eight the eight that were lost were either people didn't want to pay to clear it, or like when we did um. Because, you know, when you sample stuff and you're going for clearance, you have to send the owners the song so they can study the song and see whether or not there's any lyrics they don't like. Yep. 
So um, we the original I Love You sample was Isaac Hayes. So when we had the original sample, and keep in mind, in that song, Joel's is like, I'm a young Omar Atta, da 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 so, <laughs> And then the tag they chose to put on the beat, the tag was like, because, you know, they put a tag on there so people don't steal the song and play it early. Yeah. yeah. So the tag was every 10 seconds. It's Dipset, bitch. <laughs> it's Dipset, bitch, throughout the whole song. So then we get the sample thing back. They're like, yo, Isaac Hayes ain't clearing. And I'm like... <laughs> Wonder why? <laughs> Yo, is it because of uh, you mentioned Omar Atta in the towers? You had Dipset bitch going through there every five seconds. Do you remember when they when they signed to Rockefeller? They went up to Angie Martinez and they were just like, "Yeah, we're the Taliban." And yeah, I'm just yeah, like, yeah, "This yeah, is yeah, not yeah, a good yeah, idea." Yeah. <laughs> no, was, and especially the time of the, you know, like Dipset diplomats were diplomats before 9/11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But after 9/11, certain things that was going on became like they. I think they broke down one of Joel's records. I forgot one record. It might have been the I Love You record. Mm. And they was like, they, on the news, they was like, rapper Joel Santana calls himself a young Omar Atta, da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> man. They're really, because you got to mind, around this time, we were all kids. Yeah. When I say kids, I don't mean like, you know, like too young to drink and shit. I just mean like, we were kids. We were just doing adult things as far as like making adult money. Moving around like adults, we were 24, 23. Joel's was probably like 20, 21, you know what I mean? So it was, it was, he was living the crazy one. <laughs> yeah, all of, keep in mind, all of us kind of were like, you don't expect to get my first check from my off the diplomatic community was over 100 grand. <laughs> then I did Joel's album, I did 12 records, so oh. that was over 100 grand too. Then I did a publishing deal for quarter million, you know what I mean? Like, so it was. You couldn't tell me nothing around those times. Like, I was making more money than my parents. Hey, guys, we just want to take one second to interrupt this podcast to remind you that on November 2nd in Los Angeles, California, at the Bootleg Theater, we are going to be performing live. You can go support your boys It's The Real by going to itsthereal.com and buying your ticket today. We're going to be doing comedy. We are two funny motherfuckers. We're going to be on stage doing comedy. We will also have our music to perform. We will do some stories. And yes, there will be special guests. Wait, Jeff, did we just confirm one special guest last night? We sure did. Did we confirm another special guest today? We sure did. Do we have another one that we're about to confirm? An actual third special guest? Yeah, well, Jeff, you tell me. Yes. Okay, the answer is yes. Yeah. And also, guys, we're not done. We're working on more special guests. We really hope that you'll be there. And if you're not able to come, we hope you buy a ticket anyway. Again, buy the ticket, forward the PDF to eric at itsthereal.com and jeff at itsthereal.com. Let's sell Los Angeles out. So that we can show up at your house <laughs> and perform directly for you. And now back to the podcast. How much did you did you consider yourself part of the diplomats, or did they consider you like their in-house producer? I think it was it worked both ways. We was like we were friends and fa- it was like family in a way. You know what I mean? Like the way like even to this day, my relationship with Jim is Jim is like a longtime friend of me. Yeah, we've done music together, but Jim is genuinely a friend. You know what I mean? Like. Even if we, if I wasn't talking about music with him, I could talk to him and, it, you know, like, I haven't, I, I'm not around Cam as much as I am around Jim or, or, or Joel's, but, um, well, I'm not around Cam or Joel's as much as I'm around Jim, mm-hmm. so it's different, but we were always, like, close-knit in the sense of they needed something they could call me and vice versa, and it was always love, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, regardless of where we were at in our career. And it's still no, all love. People and, don't see us working together, but it's still all love. But you know I mean? And no one can dispute this. Your sound was the, was 
the sound of the diplomats. Right. So I've heard. What was your relationship like with other producers around Baseline, like Just Blaze or Kanye or anybody it, else who came through? It was um, it was cool, but I guess it was that quiet competition where it was like. Like, I just remember one day, I mean, just probably don't remember this, but I remember this shit like it was yesterday. I was in the studio, I was, you know, I don't know if you've been to Baseline before, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah, open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember Baseline had the little B room to the left, they had the A room to the right when you came to the right. So I was in the B room playing beats for, um, this is early. It was This was before Jim ever even had a solo project. I'm playing beats for Jim. And um, Just Blazes on the boards, because he was using the room at the time, but, you know, I guess Jim asked him if I could play some beats for him. So I'm playing beats for him, and when I'm playing beats for him, Jay walks in. So Jay walks in and he one of the beats, Jay's like, yo, I like this. And Jay is rocking from side to side. And Just Blaze is like, no, 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 no. Listen to this, Jay. Cut that shit off and play, put his own shit on. Jay was like, yeah, that's cool. And walked out the room. And in my head, I'm like, this is what it is. This is, this is the type of business I'm involved with. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's survival of the fit. Mm-hmm. That's really what this is. Even in what you guys do, it's survival of the fit. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're not willing to... To, to make that extra move, somebody else is going to... It's like, if if I didn't stand up for myself and be like, nah, Jay, I did that. Yo, just did that play. Then he has all right to be like, yo, Jay, nah, cut this off. Listen to this. People are only going to let, let you do as much as you let them do. So, you know, again, it was a learning experience. I was young. I didn't want to ruffle I didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers at the time, so I kind of stayed quiet. But I always wondered what if. Like, if I'd have just been like, nah, that's me. You know, that I got this and that and I did X, Y, and Z. So you never know. We did this Rockefeller thing at Highline Ballroom, right? And uh, which looked dope, by the way. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And just and and Guru and everyone did give you guys uh, big praise for for everything that you created. And Man, I think everybody like to be honest with you. Like I tell the story about just it's no hard feelings. It's just like one of them things that you just learn for next time. It's like mm-hmm. you can't really be the 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 quiet church mouse in the corner of the room and expect to get things accomplished and i learned that that day they also said that like every week there was you know an, another diplomats record going to k-slay and out on the radio and like i told you my work ethic and their work ethic it was like they had to fight for studio time that's why if you i don't know if you if you spoke if they said it that day but they stopped recording in baseline because it was almost like a situation where there was tension there because cam and and, and jim and joel's would be recording and then Let's just say they want to record and and Bleak and and um, GDK was in there. Then it's a uh, right, who got who got who has the the authority to take this room over? And, you know, like Jay was the was the top one. If Jay said something or Jay did anything, nobody's gonna fight with Jay for studio time. But other than Jay, it was like a rat race. Yeah. Whoever got there, whoever thugged the other person out the most to take the room back. So it was like after a minute, you just started seeing because um, like we recorded ninety percent of Joel's album at Sony. And 10% was at baseline. Hmm. Diplomatic immunity was like 100% at baseline. Mm-hmm. Until when Joel's album started, we kind of had to, we moved because, like, again, it was just too many, too much testosterone around, man. Too many guys fighting for the same spot. And it was like, I think Cam felt like people were trying to steal his wave. So he didn't want to record around, you know, <laughs> the, the, the the usual people. So that's my assumption. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? This is we're talking about sixteen years ago, seventeen yeah. years ago. Did you think at that time that you were only going to produce for for Dipset, or were you like, I want to start looking outside of that? Or no, I wanted to, but I didn't want to be disrespectful about it because there was a point in time where another group of artists had asked me for some music, and then Cam got Cam and Jim got wind of it, and they called me like in a in, in like a frenzy, like yo. They trying to steal our waves. Start, yo, don't. This is our wave. Don't you don't got to give them no beats. This is our shit. Da 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 da. And at the end of the day, I'm not gonna argue with Cam and Jim because they put me in the position I was in. So I was never gonna 
you know, like go against what they were saying. So I was like, all right, cool, bet. And I never gave that artist beats. And then they ran into me one day and was like, yo, damn, you only fuck with Dipset, huh? You ain't fucking with us. And, you know, I was just like, I said, nah, but that's my family. They got first, you know, they got first right of refusals, everything I'm making right now. So, you know, it's no hard feelings. And I never ended up doing work with that, with those group of artists. But, you know, so, who knows? So, Jewel's um, relationship with, with Def Jam uh, sort of had its peaks and valleys. Right. Um, how, <laughs> how, how, did that, how did that affect uh, your guys' uh, output? I think during that time was kind of like, because ever since we did Diplomatic Immunity, from what I remember, you know what I'm saying? I could be wrong, but from what I remember, I don't remember having another session where it was all three of them in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody necessarily had problems. I just think it, it's like the group where every member has its own fan base. You know what I mean? Like Jim was had the right to, 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 to feel how he felt. Cam had the right to feel how he, And Joel, because they all were separate stars on their own. Joel's went platinum mm-hmm. with his second album. Cam is Cam, and Jim had Ballin, which did its numbers. So it's like, how can you tell anybody to do anything if you're? So it was like, when it's when everything started separating, it was just it happened without nobody really knew. It was just like one day you in the studio with Jim, Cam, and Joels. Next thing you know, you're in the studio with just Jim and Joels. Then you're in the studio with just Cam and Joels. Then you're in the studio with just Joels. Then you you know, so you don't really pay attention because it's happening in front of your face. So you don't really know, you know, it's just like, oh, Cam is doing something today or Jim doing something today. But then before you know it, it's just like, nah, it was just, it's just how it is. You know what I mean? It's just, they're not doing, they're not around each other no more. I don't know. It was just, it was weird. Were you going to be involved in the, the Wayne and Joel's project? Yeah, I had, I had two records on there. Really? Yeah. Do you still have them? I've never heard them. Oh. I just know they, Joel's did it. He told me he did it. I just never, like that, you know, that, that, that fell apart kind of. Mm-hmm kind of on the fast side man because at the end of the day it's like what i think i mean maybe i'm wrong but i feel like wayne's progression as an artist has a lot to do with dipset even down to fashion you know what i'm saying and that's not knocking wayne that's just what i saw i just remember wayne's clothes being extra big before he met dipset then it's starting to get fitted then the then the then the louis sweaters came out and the and the and the the belts like you know what i mean like like skulls and stuff so and then like but he was calling he was calling himself dipset south too right wasn't Wasn't he he? i think so i'm even making that up (laughs) i don't i don't know if he was i don't i don't know my the crazy thing is my man british is the reason i got on wayne's album because British and Baby were cool, and British was like, yo, I'm going to um, do some work with Wayne. He said, give me some beats to give to Wayne. So I give him beats in March. Wayne hits me back in October. He's like, yo, uh, yo, send me the files to this. And, that, and, that. and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yo, I'm using these on my album, but we only got 24 hours for mix. So I, send it, I need you to send it now. And around those times, I remember I was in the Bronx, and my homeboy was like, um, I said, yo, I got to send it now. He said, yo, come to my mother's crib. You can send it from there because, you know, I needed um, internet service. Mm-hmm. Why did his mother have dial-up? <laughs> it took five hours to send about nine sounds. Anyway, it got done. Yeah, yeah. Needless to say. Um, and then you got two records on there, right? Yeah, I did The Mob and I did Receipt. Um, which are incredible songs. Thank you. Um, I do want to talk about, you had one of the very, very early Gucci Mane uh, placements. Damn sure. Yeah, you did that in my mother's basement. I yeah. was in the basement. So I was up in the Bronx. Yeah. You had Gucci up in the Bronx. Yeah, Gucci Amazing. and Gucci and his two uh 
his two henchmen. Yeah, one dude guarded the door, and another dude guarded the steps that led upstairs to my mother's. To my mother's. Because there's a lot of trouble going on. Right. So I like, said to him, I said, "Yo, you do know that." And keep in mind, these dudes didn't say a word. Like they just the whole time they just quiet. So Gucci's like, "Nah, don't worry about it, man. They good." Just I'm like, "Yo," I said, "My mother's up there. Like nothing's gonna happen." He's like, "Nah, they just they feel better like this." Wait, so yeah, so you knew Gucci early, and you knew Nikki early, like. But I didn't. The thing is, I met Gucci through a dude um that owned a record label by the name of Fat Cat Records. Mm. This dude named Fat Cat. He um he was cool with my homeboy at the time, and he was like, "Yo, I got an artist named Gucci. Da da da. We need some beats." My man was like, "Yo, my people's are producers," and I didn't, you know, like again, if I would have known the type of music that Gucci made, I'd have probably been like, "Nah, he's not gonna like none of my stuff." But then he came, I played him some shit, and he picked like one of the first things he heard. So what was early Gucci like? Like now? Yeah, same. Gucci came because we had a store in the Bronx at the time, like the sold sneakers, clothes, things of that nature. He came in there and just bought like probably like about. Five, five to ten pairs of Air Force Ones at once, like, and this is, and then I remember he was going to Atlantic. He was like, "Yo, unless they give me, unless they give me a million, I'm not signing." And in my head, I'm like, "They give you a million? So he came back like, "Yeah, they tried to offer me like six, seven hundred thousand. Man, fuck them." I said, "Yo, you turn six, seven hundred thousand down?" Because at this time, I didn't know the hype behind Gucci. Because I was, you know, I'm from New York, so. When I spoke to my man in Atlanta, he's like, yo, you just did a record with Gucci? <laughs> he said, come on. He said, yo, Gucci the shit down there, man. You... I'm like, okay. So that's when I started to realize the mystique of Gucci. A real quick aside is that recently um, Joe Budden on Everyday Struggle said that he gives credit to Dipset for enabling the South to sort of like grow beyond just the South. Of course. We may, uh, and listen, what I'm, what I'm saying now is going to seem blasphemous. But understand what I'm saying and, and really think about it. We help create trap music. Now, when I say that, think about the records that I made and think about the bounce. Think about Postman. Ch- take out the kicks and snares on Postman. It's a trap song. Wait a minute, Mr. I mean, not even the snares. Let's take out the kicks and put 808s. Mm. Wait a minute, Mr. <laughs> it's a trap song. The bounce was a trap song. A lot of the dipset records were, I made a lot of my beats slower. But I, I use crazy hi-hats to make them feel like they were moving faster than what they were. So that's what's going on now. The same crazy hi-hats. Because I remember Timbaland used to have his hi-hats a certain way. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to do it like that. That's too fast. So I would put my shit on like a 16th and a 3rd for all the producers. They would know what that means. <laughs> but it's like it's a different swing. You know what I mean? And it gave a different type of bounce. And producers do it to this day. They, they, they switch it up. But they do that. They You know, like if you listen to the hi-hats, a lot of that is reminiscent of the stuff that I did in... 2000 so it's not it's not far-fetched to say that dipset helped enable the south yeah because the beats they were on were similar to trap music did you ever produce anything for cat williams no <laughs> i never even met he I, his records i never even met cat williams really i didn't even i thought when he had dipset chain that was just like cam a marketing tool for cam i didn't think he was really signing dipset but i guess you know you guys just validated <laughs> yeah, yeah whatever happened to that uh, I don't still know. Still signed Dipset? I, I, I think assume so. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's still signed Dipset. Is is Dip Skate still a thing for you? Is Dip Sex still around? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a better question. Yeah. You know what's crazy? You uh, you, you ever met Big Joe? Yo, uh, yeah, Eric has. yeah. Uh, Big Joe. <laughs> one time, this is what I was trying to do the rapping thing for a minute, right? So I go to Big Joe. I'm like. He's like, yo, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you, Austin. because you're my man. <laughs> I got the, you know, Cam just gave me the rights to this Dip Sex. <laughs> the next scene that we shoot, I'm going to have you in the back just rapping while this dude is banging this chick out. I'm like, so you're Joe, man. No disrespect. I don't really see my career going in that direction, man. So I'm a- <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> right. Thanks, I mean, yeah, I appreciate yeah. the gesture, but 
me rapping behind a dude giving back shots <laughs> to a chick is really not what I envisioned my career, you know. But that being said, you know, you're you're you went to school for architecture. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 you don't yeah. know how to build your career up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That's not how I want to uh, be remembered when this is said and done. Yeah. Like pull up uh Dipsex Volume 7 he's on that. Nah, I'm all right. Killing it. Oh my god. Um all right, so we can all agree that you have a signature sound at this point. Right. So that brings us to you worked with Beyonce. Right. I didn't work side to side with her, but I did right, a record but, for it, yeah. But the song is so not like you. <laughs> right, because I'm gonna tell you what happened. It never got finished. What happened was, um I had a when I when I the first studio I ever had around the time when I met Dipset was on fifty seventh and might have been fifty seventh and Broadway. It was a, right underneath a hard rock cafe. I don't know if you they moved it now, but this mm-hmm. was like we're talking about two thousand, two thousand and one. So, uh, or 2001. So, um, talk about overhead. Well, you know, right. Now, no, but around that time, <laughs> after 9 like 11, everything changed. Yeah, no, but yeah. I tell you, we had so around that time, we had some money. This is around yeah, the time, yeah, we yeah. had a rename it clean, gave him the thing. So, a friend of mine that, not even a friend, but he managed, this dude had managed Bruce Springsteen, one of the dude that owned the floor that we rented. Mm-hmm. He managed, he had managed Bruce Springsteen. So, do you remember, um, I forgot this guy's, the guy that I think he played in The Sopranos. He was on um, Bruce Springsteen's guitar player. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sure, yeah. Uh, Stevie. Right, Stevie was in the studio. So Stevie goes, yo, I like what you guys are doing. He said, yo, let me play some. Let me play some. He grabs a guitar. He starts playing a bunch of things. And I don't think twice about it. He's just playing things. So now I got it. And one day I'm like, yo, let me listen. I go back to my computer and I find these compute, these um guitar riffs. And I'm like, this is dope. So I chop it up and I, I arrange it in a way that sounds, you know, and I just remember uh, um, I had it on a CD because I couldn't re- could think about what type of drums I wanted to put to it. So I just had the chops and the arrangement on a CD. And I go to, to Sony to, um, this is right after we did our publishing deal. Was it right after or right before? might have been right after. Anyway, I bring that CD to Sony and I'm playing them different things and I forgot that that's on there. And the chick was like, yo, go back to that. I said, yo, it's not finished yet. She was like, no, nah, I want to hear that. So she was like, yo, I got to give this to Solange. Solange could write a dope record to this. And I'm like, yo, but let me finish. She's like, nah, trust me, acoustic is better. Just leave it like this. <laughs> so Solange writes the record and the record was supposed to be for um, Josh Stone. Okay. <laughs> right. So then Josh Stone hears the record, but Beyonce referenced it. Solange wrote it, Beyonce referenced it. Mm-hmm. So Josh Stone hears the record and was like, yo, I can't sing it like this. So I'm not even going to waste my time doing the record if I can't pull it off like how she sang it. So instead of letting the record go to waste, because it was a, you know, the record was a dope record, written dope. They, they liked everything. So they was like, all right, cool. Beyonce will keep it. So I'm hype. I'm like, all right, bet Beyonce will <laughs> keep it. She's going to change my life. Yeah. So now. When this record is popping, Matthew Knowles is her manager at the time, her father. So mm-hmm. he's like, "Yo, um, you know, I like what you, I like what you're doing. Can we, um, I want to sign you guys. Let's work something out." So I go see him. He's like, "Yo, all right, here's what we're gonna do. I got a, you know, five year situation. I get thirty percent, and that record you just did for my daughter. He write, he takes out a piece of paper and he writes on the paper a percentage. And he said, this is what you're gonna be left with.' And I look at the percentage. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I understand you got to pay to play the game sometimes, but I'm like." No, nah, this don't feel right. I can't. I was like, but this is an original beat. Mm-hmm. Why would I take this? He said, nah, you know what? My daughter wrote it. My other daughter sang it. My other daughter that sang it, she keeps the lights on in Sony. So this is what it is. <laughs> and I'm like. What a gangster. I'm like, <laughs> nah, I don't think I could do that. He was like, yo, listen, just think about it. I said, be honest with you, man, I don't really feel comfortable doing that because I know I'm getting robbed. Yeah. yeah. Well, two weeks. Bronx way. Two weeks <laughs> later, right. Yeah. Two weeks later, the record gets leaked. Oh my god! And they say they, they they ended up putting it on like a bonus album overseas, like you know they just didn't put it on any album over here, which kind of twisted me up. But I know why it happened. 
You know what I mean? I'm not. Records just don't. Records from big artists like that, they don't just get leaked. Right. Yeah. You understand? Like, if you had a, if he, if there was a single out there right now with Beyonce and Bruno Mars, it's not going to get leaked. Right. You understand? So, yeah. to me, records that got get leaked or got leaked, if they're from huge artists, it was playing like that. And that song was called what? Stop Sign? Stop Sign. Yeah. Where do you go after that point? After that point, I go to Vegas. I get a, a little residency to DJ in Vegas. Well, and <laughs> because my music thing slowed down, people weren't buying my type of music anymore. You know what I mean? They were buying. It was this was like the Little John era, and the and the and this is when when Crunk was turning into trap. Right. The last record that I was about to place that um, Jim probably doesn't even know that he cost me this. <laughs> Jim and Joel's had did a record had did this record called Rider Music. Mm-hmm. Right, but yeah. it was just a beat that they had on the CD that I did. I didn't know they did it. That record was supposed to be Jeezy's first single. What Jeezy hears the record and was like, "Yo, your boy Jim is on. I can't do nothing with this. He put it out already." So I lost Jeezy's first single on his first album because of Jim. Oh my god! But he, I don't know. I don't even think Jim knows that to this day. Wait, what happened? Uh, going back, Ghostface put out a song, Ice. Yeah, and then Cam. It was Come Home with Me. Yeah, Ghost. What you hear, Ghostface? That's the same beat. Exact yeah. same beat. The, what you hear, Ghostface rapping on was straight off the CD. <laughs> he didn't mix it. No, that was what like it was a minute and one second. No, it was fifty nine seconds on the CD. Yeah, it was a minute and one second on his album. Yeah, we called it an interlude, <laughs> right? Because he. So when I approached um, Ghostface people, obviously, because on the original one it says produced by Ghostface. If you if you ever read that, <laughs> so when my lawyer had my lawyer had reached out to them and and they changed the production, it says it didn't even they didn't even put heat makers like they were supposed to. They just put arsonists. But um, I ended up getting paid for that and. You know, and then when Cam got it, I told Cam, I said, yo, you know, um, Ghostface had taken this beat off the CD and put it on his album. He's like, I don't give a fuck. Just give it to me. <laughs> He's like, I like this shit too much. So Cam paid for it again, mm. and I got more publishing off of that. And It's like, legendary. I don't understand. It's emergency while we're sitting here. We're going. <laughs> it's just, it's a legendary way to start that album, and it's just like, yeah. you make your way down to Vegas. Right. And I was what, DJing at Rehab. You ever heard of Rehab? Yeah. Yeah, I was DJing Rehab. So what's life like down there? Like, that's... Insane. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It's almost unreal to the point where you have to leave to no reality. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because I got caught up in Vegas to the point where it's like... Because keep in mind, Vegas, you can walk the strip with open liquor. You can have a weapon on you as long as you have a card. Like, Because they have two cards out there. One card you can have... I don't know if it's still the same, but this is like 2008, nine around that time. And one card allows you to have your weapon concealed. The other, the other card, you have to have your weapon out so somebody can see it. So, mm-hmm. you know, but to me, that's crazy in itself. Right. That's like, yeah. it, like, like I'm in the car with my homeboy that's from Vegas, and we're driving around, and police pull us over. So, police, you know, first question is like, "Yo, you got any weapons in the car?" I'm used to that. I'm in New York. Yeah. They asked that. Yeah. You like, "No, nah, I don't got no weapons in the car." Mm-hmm. He was like, "Yeah, I got on." He pulls out. <laughs> he pulls down like his arm. Um, he had this thing in the back seat. He pulled it down. He had like a long ass. Like some crazy shit you shouldn't even have in your car. Yeah. So now my heart is in my stomach like, <laughs> oh, it's over for us. Yeah. I'm going to get locked up in Vegas. I'm never going to see New York again. Like, it's over. Right. There was like, even the police officer was like, God damn, what you need that big ass <laughs> gun for? But the way the police reacted, I'm like, he didn't seem bothered. So then he was like, nah, look, I got my car. He told him his car. He was like, all right, man. He said, yo, but listen, calm down, man. You ain't fucking ramble. You don't need them. <laughs> but it was just bugged out to me. I've never been in a car where police ask you if you have a gun in a car and you say, yes, show it to them and they're cool. I'm not, it never happened. Like, in life. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, it's over. Yeah. But again, Vegas is a different place, man. I mean, now they're going to change it, I'm well, sure. Yeah, sure oh, yeah. It's over. Yeah. It's over. Because like, I, I was reading a thing where they said that of all the places in the United States that are like 
um, that were not ready for a terrorist attack. Like Las Vegas, Vegas is like one of them. The reason being, Vegas switches out people every day. Mm. Yeah, like if you live in Vegas, you the odds of you running across the same person twice on the strip rare. Yeah, yeah. They swap out people every day. They're from different parts of the world. When I was in Vegas, for, I was in Vegas for like about two months. Yeah, meet new people every day. How every do you day. how do you stay away from like? Gambling or I had a problem with gambling. Oh, you did. Okay, super problem. Yeah. Did you go to rehab? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, nah, it was bad. It was yeah. to the point where like I was out there getting money um, produced for somebody, and let's just say one day I would go in the studio, whatever. And let's just say they would give me like five grand. I would lose that before I got back to my room. Like it was bad. It was yeah. bad. It was to the point where I had two. I had two bank accounts, and I would have to leave one bank card in New York. To, to stop yeah. me from getting to the money. <laughs> like, one day I remember I'm in Vegas and I invited a chick out to come chill with me. And by the time the chick gets to me, because I get to Vegas first, she was meeting me from, she was from like LA, you know, and I met, I told her to meet me in Vegas. And by the time she met me in Vegas, which was like 18, 18 hours after I got there, my money was done. Damn. Like, to the point she wanted to get something to eat, I'm like, we got to go to this vending machine. Yeah. Did you, did you ever work with, uh, what's the, who's the dude out there who gave like French Montana the monkey? Oh, Molly Mall. Mall, yeah. Yeah, I was recording out of his studio. Oh, crazy. Yeah, Ma, me and Molly Mall was chopping it up for the. It's bugged out. That he, place is supposed to be crazy. His studio? Yeah. Official. Yeah. Official. <laughs> Keep in mind, his studio is in the back of his house, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the day that I'm leaving Vegas, like I'm going back to New York, uh, you know, I'm in the studio, so I'm like, all right. Uh, he said, yo, before you leave, come in the house and come check me and, you know, say later. I'm like, I, I get in his crib. I don't know if he still got it. Mm-hmm. He had a, he had a, um, a hot tub in the middle of his living room. <laughs> so now he's sitting in the hot tub in the middle of his living room with a chef cooking dinner in the kitchen. I'm like, it's okay, man. He's a good, he's a good dude, man. He's a good dude. But like, he, when I was going to his house, his shit is crazy, man. Yeah. Even back then, I'm, I'm, you know, you pulling up to his house, so you are going up like this driveway. You see phantoms, you see tour buses, like crazy, <laughs> crazy. So you come back to New York, yeah. Is New York ready for you? Um, Are you ready was, for New York? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Because yeah, see that, like when I came back to New York, the the residency I was supposed to do in Vegas, I was doing it for a couple of weeks. But right before I signed the contract, and the contract was going to be a nice number. Yeah, they mm-hmm. was going to fly me back and forth to New York once a week, put me up in the Hard Rock. I was going to have my own suite in the Hard Rock for six months, and the money was nice. When yeah. I tell you nice, we're talking about nice six figures, nice, yeah. right? Hot so, tub in the middle of your kitchen, nice. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. The dude that set it up fucked the whole deal up. Damn. He was just a money hungry dude and fucked the whole deal up, man. And I ended up coming back to New York to face reality. Mm. So that was around the time, like I said, music had changed. Mm-hmm. I'm back in New York. My money, my income stream, as far as like the Vegas thing, which was a great gig, you know what I'm saying, was by the wayside now because of this creep. So now I'm back in New York with no plan. And kind of, to be honest with you, kind of like defeated. You know what I mean? So this was this is 2010 around this time, mm-hmm. 2010, 2011, you know, going around those times. And I just had to kind of go back to what made me love music. It wasn't, you know, like before the money, before cars and jewelry and things of that nature. It was like I went back to my mother's basement and I just set up equipment. And I just worked for like a year. I didn't try to sell beats. I didn't do nothing. I didn't even know who I was going to sell beats to. I just made, I, I just kind of shut everything down and made music. But even if you were selling beats at that point, I don't know that you could make money. Because like 2010, it was like, weird. That, that, that's, that's the time when like the internet is like a total war zone, right? right. Like right. every, producers were not getting paid. Because right. like if, if your song comes out, 
it's just like on the internet right like, and, keep you in, and keep in mind apple and like itunes and apple music and all those things around those times still didn't really figure out how to work with the labels you know like cohesively it was yeah. kind of like a fight mm-hmm. the labels were like we're not getting our money from the internet they were still trying to push physical copies when it was evident that physical copies weren't relevant anymore yeah so it was that weird time in music where music was changing and people didn't know how to monetize it anymore yeah right like there so, were no streaming services right none of that. So, so if you were an engineer that got two thousand dollars for a mix that was done if you was a producer that was getting 20 grand for a beat that was done because now everything is accessible it's like i right, why should i pay this guy 20 grand for a beat when there's millions of beats online that i can download for free so it was weird for everybody involved i think over the last Three years, four years is where everything really, now we understand how streaming works. We understand how to really monetize off of YouTube. And you know what I'm saying? Before, it was a lot of gray area. Like, you put something up on YouTube, you get a million views, so what? And then back then, they couldn't really gauge what was real and fake as far as views go. Now, they have a system in place where it's like, okay, cool. We know if this is fake. We strip the numbers and suspend the account. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back then, they couldn't do that. You would see the random dude with three million views. But it was just for the look back then because they, they people used their YouTube's views then to get deals. Now, if you're smart, use your YouTube deals to, to I mean, your YouTube numbers to, to get yourself a, yeah. a, 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 a distribution deal. Or a uh, residency over at rehab. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Damn. at that time when, you, when you're like, let me go back and like get into that zone and, and, and feel like I did when I was hungry. Right. How is your sound changing at that point? Because... You know, certainly, like that Dipset era is on the decline at that at right. that point, and right. you're you're the face of that. Do you switch it up? Do you decide like I'm gonna ride this out? Like, where's but your here's head? What, here's the thing: I didn't, I never tried to make a sound. So when it's hard to switch something that you didn't try to do, it's like if somebody says, "Yo, um, yeah, your walk is kind of played out, man. Switch your walk." <laughs> you gonna be like, "Yo, I've been walking like this since I was a baby. Like, I don't try to walk like this. I just walk like this." Right. You right. know what I mean? It's like that, making fun of somebody's laugh and right. like, like, like Eddie Murphy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, like yeah, you don't yeah. think about it; it just becomes your thing. Like, yeah. people, like if you, you know, people just make certain things your thing, mm-hmm. and they made that sound our sound. So it was kind of like it was a gift and a curse because mm-hmm. when it was when it was dying down, people were like like even to this day, and people don't understand that this pisses me off when they do this, but. I don't know if I should take it as an insult, but like if I'm playing beats, I might be like, oh yeah, that's that 2001 feel, that's that, and I'm like, what does that really mean? Right. You know what They're I mean? Like millennium. <laughs> right, but I, I never understood that's like, so you're going to tell me 10 years from now, Metro Boomin plays a beat, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's that, that's that 2015 feel. You're like, no, you just, either you like it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when I listen to music, I don't, yeah, certain things give you a feel of an error, but ultimately, do I like it or not? That's all it boils down to. It doesn't boil down to, yeah, I would like it, but it's not like some 80s shit. Mm-hmm. I can't really like it because that's not what's in... What do you... T- like, to me, that's been the biggest problem with music is that people put it in a category of, oh, this sounds like some... This some boom bap shit. I don't know. Or this is some... This is some this. And I, like, to me, it's just music. It's mm-hmm. like, do you like it or you don't? At what point do you relocate back to Manhattan? At this time, like I said, I'm... I'm not really making a ton of money. I'm still getting like, you know, my publishing, things of that nature, whatever the case is. And one day I get a call from a dude. He's like, yo, um, I got my homeboy here. He's a big heat maker fan. He's from out of town. He wants to buy some beats. And I'm I'm pissed off with the music industry, but I'm like, all right, fuck it. He said, yo, come down to Quad. He's going to um he's gonna be down at Quad. So I go down there and I, again, I bring a CD with like 20 beats on there. It's a magical number. Hmm. I put 20 beats on No, a flash drive because right time the CDs are gone. It's like 2000 and... This is the beginning of 2012. Mm-hmm. I bring a flash drive. I play him like play him a bunch of beats. And when it was over, he said, "Yo, man, I want like 
shit, I want like 10 of them. I said, do you know how much I charge? He's like, how much you charge, man? I said, at this time, I'm like, you're an independent artist, man. Give me like five grand a beat. I didn't really give a fuck. I, I, I was so frustrated. It's, it's kind of like I wished he would have said no because it would have just given me more reason to be angry and make, you know what I mean? So yeah. he was like, he was like, damn, man, um, I don't want to insult you, man, but I only I only got 25000 on me now. Can I give you 25000 now, 25000 in the morning? I'm like, <laughs> I, said, I said, you serious? He was yeah. like, he pulled out 25000 gave it to me. He said, yo, man, I don't want to insult you, man. I'll call you first thing in the morning with the other twenty five. Keep in mind, he doesn't have none of the sessions to the beats. He only has them on CD. So the next morning, he wakes me up. Like, yo, can you meet me at the bank in Harlem and da-da-da-da-da? And, and I, that, that money that I got around that time, one of my homeboys from L, well, he wasn't my homeboy at the time, but he was a friend of a friend. And he was like, yo, you know, I just got my hands on some money. I'm trying to invest in some shit. I, I, you know, I know, I know you fuck with the music. And I'm like, yo, I got my hands on a little bit of money too. Maybe we could put something together. And there's the birth of Diamond District Studios. Mm. And we've been rocking ever since. And who, wait, who was the guy who, who bought your beats? Um, oh, this guy out of North Carolina. Um, South of North Carolina. South Carolina, his name was CB Smooth. Talk about some of the people who have come through Diamond District. All the Dipset members have been there. Um, Fat Joe, Remy, they record there regularly. Um, Panda was recorded there. Yeah, Designer. Um, yeah, Designer's been there. Um, uh, famous Dex has been there before he was famous. <laughs> <laughs> Jermaine Dupree has been there. Tech Nine has been there. Ty Dolla Sign has been there. Life Jennings has been there. Um, anybody you could... It's been so... ASAP... Ferg has been there. Um, ASAP 12E's been there. Um, you uh, produced for ASAP 12E. Kodak Black has been there. Um, every yo, any I'm missing a lot of names, but a bunch of people. If I look, Raekwon has been there. I'm thinking about the people I've taken pictures with on the gram. Yeah. Raekwon has been there. Spraga Benz has been there. Yeah. Uh, Wayne One has been there. Um, it's a bunch of people, man. Like, I'm missing a lot of names, but everybody that that. Except with the exceptions of like 50 Cent and Eminem and Jay Z, and but you know all the other artists that's you know they that's on the middle level, they've been through there. So around this time, 2013, I think. Right. Kanye reaches out to you. Khaled for Kanye. Khaled reaches out to which you, which is an interesting conversation because I mean at the time I was in Canada, so um, <laughs> Khaled calls me. This is like two in the morning. I'm asleep, so the first voice I hear is. Yo, yo, this heat makers, what's up? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, what's up? Who this? I said, yo, it's the DJ Khaled. Yo, but, yo, Kanye want me to reach out to you because he need that sound. He need that hit. You got it? And I'm like, I said, yeah, I got it, man. I said, yo, send me an email. I send it to you in the morning. Yo, you don't sound excited. What's up? You got a chance to get on Kanye's album. He personally asked me to reach out to you. What's up? I'm like, yo, Khaled, I'm super excited, man. I said, I'm just tired. He said, I send the beats in the morning. And I send the beats in the morning. So then... After they pick a beat, Khaled <laughs> calls me to kind of get all the information so we get it squared away with the lawyer. So he's like, Yo, when, you, when I pick up the phone, he's like, congratulations, you just made the Yeezus album. What's up? I'm like, yo, that's what's up, man. He's like, yo, you don't sound excited. What's up? I said, no, nah, I'm excited, Khaled. He said, nah, you don't, yo, you don't understand. Yo, congratulations. I'm like, nah, I said, yo, that's what's up, man. Like, if anybody knows me, this is as excited as I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really, even if I'm excited, you won't see it. I'm just like, okay, that's, that's what's up. Let's go. And he couldn't, I, I guess he couldn't, in his head it was like, nah, I gotta, he, 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 I gotta feel that he's excited. Yeah. So needless to say, those were our two encounters over, uh, <laughs> over so the you, phone. So you sent the beat, did you, did you ever hear anything from that? No, never did. That's the crazy part, I never did, like, and I don't know, man, it's, it, 
Kanye's a different dude, man. He's a different dude. <laughs> Did you have any interactions with him, like, through Baseline yeah, at all? Yeah, definitely. What was he like back then? Um, well, from what I know, he was, like, almost the same type of dude, but just, I guess, with less pull, so he couldn't be as crazy <laughs> or as, uh, what do you say, eccentric? Yep. Like, I remember, uh, uh, <laughs> I just remember it was a situation with a, with a chick. It was some chick that... Um, I was trying to talk to at the time and I think Kanye was, was trying to talk to the same chick. So, but I don't think she wanted, this is before Kanye had popped. So I don't think she wanted to talk to Kanye. So one day we in the club together and I'm at an event where I had just got an artist signed and we were having like a, we were celebrating. So the chick was there. She was like, it was a club. She was dancing in the cage at the club, right? So I see her and she's like, yo, you got to stay next to me. Dude. Like Kanye's on me and I told him that you my man. I don't even, I don't want him around me like that. So then Kanye comes over and I'm talking to her and he just looked pissed off and just walked off and <laughs> never spoke to me since that day. Like, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know. It was just weird. It oh. was weird. Like we had a cut and I don't know if he even knows about it, but it was a couple situations dealing with chicks that, you know, whether I was trying to talk to and he was dealing with or vice versa. And it was just, it was just weird. But. And that's why your song didn't end up on music. Ah, <laughs> I probably did that just to tease me. Like, yo, tell him send me beats. <laughs> tell him I like this. <laughs> Throw it in track. And then you had um, a placement on... Fat Joe and Remy's album. Too quick. Too quick. That came about. I was playing beats in the studio for a, a artist by the name of Lights Cameras. He's from Brooklyn. I mean, from Brooklyn. From um, from uh, Philly. Uh, his name is Lights Cameras, and um, I was playing beats for him. And I p- played this one particular beat, and he started humming a melody. When he starts, when he started humming a melody, Joe walked in. Joe was like, "Yo, what's that? What's that?" <laughs> He's like, "Yo, I like that. Record that." So he goes in the booth and ra- lays on a reference track, burning for Joe, and Joe gets his man to, to put words to it. And there it is. Is Joe? Does Joe remember your first interaction all the way back? We've never spoke about it, but he know. I mean, we've known each other for so long. Like I've known Joe since '99. That's yeah. when I met Joe. It was 1999. So just shit. It's almost 20 years since I've known Joe. But but now he he's can been actually... the same person ever since. And now he's good enough for your beats. So yeah, I know, right? <laughs> In fact, Joe can get a beat now, which is better than Grandmaster Flash, who could have gotten a beat down. A beat down. There it is. Arsonist, thank you so much for coming thank through. You. This thank was you. dope. Yeah, when you think, I don't think about like even when I was telling the story, I said that Nikki was there. Yeah, I don't. It's just bugged up. I don't think about things in retrospect like that. I just kind of, as people ask me or I do things like this, I bring it up and then it'll come back to me like, oh, she was there. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But it is. It. I'm still waiting to get in contact with her. Nikki, if you listen to this interview. Stop playing games, man. Heat makers, you know what it is already, man. Thank you so much for coming through. Thank you guys for having me, man. Lovely place. Oh, thank, thank you very you. much. It's our Manhattan mansion. That's right. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Waste Time with the Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, we're It's the Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called The Waste of Time with It's the Real. And people want to find out more about our headlining show out there in Los Angeles, our first time performing in LA on the West Coast. Where can they go? You can always go to itstherial.com. Get your tickets today. You can also always listen to all of our old episodes at soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. We are also available streaming on iTunes. Search for a waste of time with It's The Real, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L, all one word, no apostrophes, no spaces. We are also on Spotify and all streaming services if you want to listen to our music. Teddy Bear Fresh is the movement. Go listen to our album, Teddy Bear Fresh. Uh, you can also find it on SoundCloud.com slash It's The Real. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real, also on Snapchat at It's It's The Real. 
but you know yeah whatever yeah Jeff, we're just uh, collecting followers at this point. i'd like to make mention a couple of our songs sugar high is now officially up to three hundred and sixty-four thousand plays ow our song girl your ass is like a metaphor is officially at two hundred and ten thousand plays ow guys go to spotify and support your voice it's the real jeff you know and we've talked about this a lot this podcast isn't going to grow unless you guys tell a friend and that's the goal let's have our whole audience tell their friend and let's double up like mace let's double up jeff who do you want to shout out to spread the word i have so many people to shout out today here we go i don't want anyone to feel they're not special right because each and every one of them is a star in my eyes let's go Okay. I want to shout out Mike from Albuquerque. Yeah. I want to shout out Ray from Long Island. Yeah. I want to shout out at six foot five on Twitter. Alright. lot Records. I want to shout out Balls Got Weight. Hey. Uh, I want to shout out Anna Says. Alright. Uh, Niles by Nature. Let's go. Smooth G. Hey. Excuse me. Underscore Smooth well, G. Well, fuck Smooth G. Whoever yeah. took that with the end. Yeah. Without the underscore. That's what I'm saying. I want to shout out uh, Robert Glenn. Mm-hmm. I want to shout out Charlotte Not The Main. That's right. I want to shout out Teflon Don at DJ under Underscore Don B DMV. Man. I want to shout out Leo EPD. I want to shout out Sheeta. <laughs> I want to shout out NC underscore Queens. Let's go. Yo boy, the coolest. And of course, Lens underscore Anderson out in LA. We will quit playing, brothers. Drop that shit about this episode. Well, we just dropped it, guys. Thank you for saying that you wanted to hear this episode. Also, I believe. Um, one or two of those people who were just like, no, hold off. Well, sorry about that, guys. I, Jeff, would like to shout out our friend Jenna Luckman, who bought a ticket, even though she may or may not be in the building. I want to shout out Justin Aguiar for buying a ticket, even though he will not be in the building. I want to shout out uh, Dynamite, even though he will not be in the building. And I want to shout out Shale, because he will not be in the building, but he bought a ticket as well, and there's more people. But guys, as they come in, Hopefully we will be able to shout you guys out on future episodes. Maybe we'll drop a couple next week. Who knows? Here's the thing. We appreciate you guys for appreciating us. This is something we do out of the love for the art, a love for the craft, and at the end of the day, a love for you guys. Thank you so much for supporting It's The Real. Not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right.